This is part three of the Tommy Alsop interview in his own words. Oh, they, they were all 300 to 400 miles. It was like going from uh, east, from down in uh, England up into Scotland, you know, every night. We'd we'd be over on the west side of Iowa one night, and then the next night we'd be back in Milwaukee, or back in Wisconsin. Then the next night we'd be back over in Iowa, 60, 50 or 60 miles from where we was two nights before. You know, they didn't have nothing coordinated. It was just, you can look on a map. You can, there's a guy got a book out and there's a map and it shows how it zigzagged back and forth, you know. And it's kind of ridiculous, you know, just why, why didn't they just line them up? But that's that's the way they booked them back in them days, you know. It does, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty weird. We didn't care was young. and You know, I was 26 years old. I was the oldest guy on the tour, so. Everybody else, they, they didn't. It didn't bother them, you know. <clears throat> it was all good. Uh, uh, Dion and his guys, they did great, you know. And uh, Richie was exceptional, little showman. I mean, he Richie was really good and played good. He played good guitar, and I, you know, we'd, he'd we'd sit around, and I'd show him licks, and uh, uh, he was very interested in learning more. And everybody in the big bopper, we got to be good buddies because we'd go out and drink beer at night, you know, and uh, so. Uh, it was it was good. Everybody on the tour was good. Well, back then there wasn't very many motels. They were just like, uh, and hotels were like one and two story buildings in these little towns, and uh, they were about like uh, what you wouldn't stay in now, you know. And uh, that that was it for the motel scene. There wasn't that many people traveling, I guess, in those days, you know. Very few motel. That, that was before Holiday Inns and Ramada Inns, you know. We talked a lot. We talked a lot. We talked every day on the bus. You know, we'd ride and, and uh, excuse me, I had to get a drink of water. We'd, we'd talk about what we was going to do when that tour was over. And uh, he wanted to go to, he wanted to go back to Lubbock and build a studio and uh, have a publishing company and a production company and had a whole thing. He'd already made a deal with Coil Records for a production agreement. So anybody he heard, <clears throat> anybody that he heard and wanted to produce, well, they said they'd back it, you know, so. Everything was looking really good, you know. No, there there never was. Uh, you know, people, their stories have come out, but he may have told me one time that he missed J.I. and Joe, but Joe B., you know, but we never never dwelled on it, never talked about it. Uh, he was going his way, and he figured they were going their way. You know, they picked the road they wanted to go, and uh, he wasn't going to stand in their way, you know. So. No, uh, he, wasn't even, he wasn't even worried about using the name Crickets. He was... Uh, uh, more concerned about his his future, and uh, I knew I knew I wanted to uh, either just be his road manager and uh, help him try to find talent to promote, you know. And uh, uh, I wasn't looking as far; I was looking more into the recording end of it myself. I'd kind of, you know, he kind of had me lined up to go back and kind of run the studio, you know. And his dad and brothers was going to run the the music store, and he had he had things and then. You know, he I don't know what kind of band he would have had. You know, he was already changing his style of recording. He was he no, he was worried about, you know, about his career wasn't as big as it was. And I think that's why he was wanting to change, you know, and get away from the, the sound he started with, you know. I think he felt like it was time to to step up, you know, and do something different. And uh, and that's what he did when he went in with the violins, you know. He was trying to he was trying something different, and boy, those were good records. If you listen close to them, man, they're just perfect records. And uh, I think he was just trying to 
further his career. No. No, you know, back then you had one microphone up in front of the band. That was it. Sometimes you, some ballrooms up north would have maybe two two mics and a speaker hung on each side of the stage. There wasn't any monitors. There wasn't, they, they wasn't micing anything. We turned our amps wide open and played as loud as we could so we could hear them because the kids screaming, you know, so loud. Yeah. We all had Fender uh, basements, yeah. And we had them wide open, man, and Carl was busting heads every night, you know. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, wasn't no micing anything back then. And, uh, if, if you was lucky and had a crowd that wasn't really rowdy, then it sounded, ha- sounded halfway decent. If you had a, a crowd that was really getting into it, screaming and clapping their hands, and, uh, you couldn't hear nothing. Yet you could stand right on top of your amp and barely hear it, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, they were crazy about him. You know, I mean, he would, they loved him, you know. Everybody loved him. He was the, he was the man of the tour, you know. They talk about, the other guys, but Holly's the the one they come to see, you know. Duluth, Minnesota was a good gig. Uh, at that armory, we had several thousand kids there, and it was one of the big old armories where they couldn't get louder than the band because you were up about six feet on a tall stage, and the old buildings had lots of echo in them, and uh, the music was twice as loud normally as it ever, you know, would be. Uh, and uh, that was a good good place and that's but that was the night we had the bad bus uh breakdown and carl's feet froze uh, uh green bay was a good job the riverside ballroom we played that without carl but we had another drummer there from another band that sat in with us but uh now we'd they would pay buddy at the end of the week and he'd pay us and uh, it was all cash you know so yeah i gave him the, I, I gave him the gun i gave him the pistol in the summer of 58 when we were on on that tour up north and uh, he we were uh checking up every night and he was carrying a briefcase full of back then you gotta you gotta remember you didn't have a lot of hundred dollar bills you had people's paying a dollar and a half to get in so you was getting a lot of ones and he's getting a lot of 50 cent pieces you know so when you settled up at night if you had fifteen hundred dollars coming you got you probably had uh a thousand ones and the rest of them would be in fives and maybe some tens you know and then you'd have a lot of change, so you'd have actually you'd have a briefcase full of money, and uh, so he said something about it. And I had a little pistol, a little twenty-two pistol. I said, "Well, keep this in your glove box, you know," because we did literally have briefcases full of money back in them days, and and it, that's all. That's as far. That's all it amounted to, you know. I never heard a word about it. Not one word. Not one word was ever said to me about that, and. It's kind of odd because the big bopper every day was talking about his baby that was fixing to be born. But I never heard Buddy. Buddy never mentioned it one time. And I stayed in his apartment four or five days with him for the tour, and there was nothing mentioned there about it either. I, I think it was something that came out for the movie. You know, I don't know. Well, I helped him on the That Makes It Tough. There was a little minor chord little thing in there that uh, I played for him. and but, but he had the others already recorded, you know. And he, and he had that makes it tough a version of it. And he said, I'd like to put this little minor. How would you do that? that dun, dun, dun. It goes up from a A up to a B minor to a D or some, whatever it is right there. And I was, was showing him the easy way to do that. But, and that's the only one. that, And he had it completed, actually. They were all finished. All those songs were done. This concludes part three of the Tommy Alsop interview. Part four is available next. <laughs>